Let's turn back to the book of Zechariah. We continue looking at the night visions of Zechariah. And the title of this message is The Brand and the Branch. That's what we're going to focus primarily on tonight are two visions that Zechariah had in this night where he had ten visions. Okay, now I want to read to you an excerpt from a good commentary that I've enjoyed. I wish I had had this commentary when I started the Minor Prophet series, but I got it about halfway through. And this is a commentary uh, by James Boyce, who is deceased. And this is what he says uh, in general about the night visions of Zechariah. And this is, this is kind of clever, and I really enjoyed it. I do not know if Charles Dickens read Zechariah, but the experience of Ebenezer Scrooge, accompanied by the ghosts of Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas future, bears a strange resemblance to the experience of Zechariah, accompanied by the interpreting angel. Like Scrooge's, Scrooge's visions, all were received in one night. Like Scrooge's ghosts, the interpretation, the interpreting angel was present throughout the probe. Excuse me. The interpreting angel was present throughout to probe Zachariah's understanding and explain the visions. That really uh, helped me to just illuminate my mind in regard to what's going on here because I love the Christmas Carol. That's one of my favorite books and also the thousand different versions that are out there for the Christmas Carol. My kids, I made them sick on it growing up. I was like, let's watch the Christmas Carol. We'll watch a different version. You can watch a different version for 30 days in a row probably. But I love that imagery that the commentator gives there. Think about uh, Dickens' Christmas Carol. And of course, these are not ghosts, and this is not fiction, okay? But it does sound very similar. Maybe that's where Dickens got his idea from. But you have this prophet going to sleep, and then he's being awakened by this, this angel. And if you'll notice, I don't know if we'll get to it tonight, but you'll notice that he goes back to sleep at some point and wakes up again and has more visions on this one single night. So as we consider tonight two of the visions, visions four and five, the brand and the branch, it's going to be primarily out of Zechariah 3, but I would like to just mention what's in chapter 2. We don't want to skip one of the visions, but basically... The context, as you'll remember, of what we're looking at here in Zechariah is after the captivity in Babylon, when the children of Israel, after the 70 years in the days of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, those guys, about 50,000 of the Jews come back to the promised land. And the context we started with last time in relation to these visions was from Nehemiah, where it speaks of the Jews building and prospering under the prophesying and preaching of Haggai. And Zechariah, the house was finished, the temple of the Lord, the Lord's house was finished in the sixth year of Darius. It began in the second year of Darius. So you're talking about a four-year period that they were building this temple. And it says that they kept the dedication of this house in the sixth year with great joy. So what exactly did Zechariah say? What was his role in pushing this movement along, which was a very significant and serious movement. Remember, nobody except for coyotes and very poorest people of the land, lions and jackals and coyotes and owls and 
bears have been living in this area of the promised land of, of Jerusalem. It's been completely devastated except for very, very poor, poor people. They have no economy. They had no schools. They had no market. It's just been decimated. So this is a big deal. This is a complete restructuring and rebuilding of a society that was once thriving and God judged them and sent them into captivity. So you have... Uh, this movement of 50,000 or so, not all of the Jews by any means. There were probably millions, may, at least hundreds of thousands in uh, Babylon. But this small remnant comes back and they're working here. And you remember, they stopped working because they got scared because of the politics. And so Zechariah, Haggai come along and they start preaching and they begin to prosper. So the first thing that Zechariah prophesied about was in the second year when they went back to build. In the eighth month, the first part of Zechariah there, he calls them to repent. And I think I mentioned this to you last time, but it bears mentioning again. One of the reasons that he called them to repent and turn to the Lord was so they would be prepared to digest the coming visions. The Lord wanted them to be, have a mind that was ready to digest what he had to say because he's got some great things to say. Some of the commentators say, and that it may be accurate that there's more information in Zechariah about the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, yet to come. There's more information in this minor prophet than any of the others. And I dare say, especially with some of the short ones, that there's no doubt. So three and a half months after he begins to prophesy, this is when he has the ten visions in one night. And this would have been in late February of 519 B.C., if you like to know the historical time frame. Late February of 519 B.C. The first thing he sees in chapter 1, verse 7, is the man among the myrtle trees. I believe with all of my heart this is Jesus Christ. And Brother Luke's not here tonight. He's traveling, but I'll throw in our Lord of the Rings reference for... I'll give it to Sister Tracy tonight since she loves him so much. This is, reminds me of Return of the King. The, the rightful king has returned to his homeland. And that's what you got with the man among the myrtle trees. He's the return of the king. And then the next thing you see is God's wrecking crew. That's what I call it. The second vision in that one night are the four horns and the four carpenters or blacksmiths. We talked about that last week and I closed out with talking about the horrible picture of dehorning that used to take place when we would dehorn cows and the lot would be so bloody. That's Back at the house, you know, we take the horns off and they bleed. None of them died. Don't worry. Uh, don't worry. Don't go tell Peter. None of them died. They survived. But this is God's wrecking crew to dehorn the nations so that his nation, his choice nation, would prosper. Okay, the four horns that are referred to there, horns reference government, probably was Babylon, the Medo Persian Empire the coming Greek empire, the rising Greek empire under Alexander the Great, and Rome. And the Lord basically is saying, I'll dehorn, I will deconstruct or do away with any government that I need to for my kingdom to go forward. Don't ever forget that. That includes the United States of America, by the way. It includes any nation that's ever existed that gets in the way of God's kingdom. God will just dehorn them. Okay? So, the next thing you have in Zechariah chapter 2, that's the third vision, and it's God's surveyor. 
It says, I lifted up mine eyes again and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand, like a surveyor or like someone who would come in and prepare the plans for building, maybe an architect, a draftsman. And that's what this man with the measuring line is doing. Zechariah says to the angel, what's this guy doing? And the angel says, he's come to measure Jerusalem to see what it's going to look like. Now, if you read Zechariah 2, I encourage you to, it's not a city like they've ever seen because it doesn't have walls. It's a reference to the church of God. It's a reference to the coming Messiah and the, the kingdom of God that would be established. The city of God that you are a part of today. How do we know that? Because he says, the Lord says, I will be a wall of fire to this city. See, there's no city that you know of that has a wall of fire. It's a reference to God coming to be the administrator and the supplier of his city, the kingdom of God that's coming in the days of Jesus. So I'll leave that for you to go and read and we'll move to chapter three where we come to my subject tonight, which first is the brand, the brand and the branch. Let's read in chapter three of Zechariah. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. This is not a reference to the Joshua from, who followed Moses. This is a real guy that we've already talked about from Nehemiah and Ezra. He was the high priest when they returned from Babylon. So remember this. You had Joshua who descended from Levi, the Levitical priest line. And you also had a fellow named Zerubbabel who, don't forget, is a descendant of David. He's a descendant of the line of Judah. That's very important because he is... Basically, he's not the king because they're not allowed to have a king. They're under Babylon's jurisdiction at this point. But he is the direct descendant of Judah, of David, of Solomon. That's very important. He's come back and he's a leader among the people. And so is Joshua, who is the high priest. And here you have this, like a scene from a play. And it shows that Joshua, the high priest, notice they're all standing he is standing before the angel of the Lord. I, I don't have time to go off and chase a rabbit trail about the angel of the Lord, but I'm convinced that it, when you see the angel of the Lord appearing in all of these visions, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. There's many places in the Word of God where the angel of the Lord is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. We could go talk about the angel that Jacob wrestled with, who we know was God. It was God. And then we see other times when the angel of the Lord appears, but it is a pre-incarnation appearance of Jesus Christ. Don't ask me to explain all that. I just know that the wild, untamed center of the universe, Jesus Christ, that the lion of the tribe of Judah, can appear any way he wants to. Sometimes he appears like he did to Moses as a burning bush. Sometimes he appears as the wrestler that he wrestled with Jacob. Sometimes he appears as the captain of the Lord of hosts like he did to Joshua, the first Joshua. And here we have him standing with Joshua the high priest standing in front of him and look who's on the right side Satan standing to resist him to resist Joshua the high priest and what you have here is a dialogue that goes along with the scene and it says the Lord says to Satan verse 2 the Lord rebuked thee O Satan even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuked thee is not this a brand plucked out of the fire and that's the first part of the message tonight is the brand now, the brand could be a reference to Jerusalem, but most of the commentators, and I believe that it's a reference to Joshua, 
Okay, some a few minor commentators have said, well, it might be a reference to Satan, <laughs> but I think it's clearly a reference to Joshua. And notice the Lord is saying there is Satan accusing, pointing the finger at Joshua, which we hope to explain what that means. And the Lord says, I rebuke you, Satan, even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem. Now, I want you to understand the dynamic of what's going on here. The law, Moses' law, which was God's expression of himself to a nation several hundred years before, it is the first national or you might say open and public expression of God's heart to, to someone aside from a few individuals like Abraham, Noah, these, these individual families. It is the expression of God to a nation when he expressed himself in the law, gave it to Moses and Moses gave it, Moses gave it to the people. It's been gone for 70 years. The law has disappeared into oblivion. There's been no high priest making the daily sacrifice. There's been no... Excuse me, no high priest making the yearly sacrifice, no priests under the high priest making the daily sacrifice. None of that has been happening. It is, as far as the nations were concerned, there is no more Mosaic law, there is no more Israel, there's no more Judah. And most of them were like, practically all of them were like, thank goodness it's gone. That's one of the reasons, if you remember, the man among the myrtle trees had been riding and going to and fro in the earth and seeing how the heathen nations were at ease. You know why? Because they were so glad that Israel and Judah were gone. <laughs> and that, did, that was not pleasing to God. So the return of the king, the king has come back to reestablish the practices of the Mosaic law. That's the dynamic that's going on here. And so you've got Satan standing there doing what Satan always does, which is accuse and point the finger and telling Joshua, you're not qualified. And you know, really, honestly... He's not. <laughs> no man is qualified to be the high priest. You understand? They're sinners. You want to read more detail about the high priest and his function? You could read the book of Hebrews. It's wonderful. And you could also read what the Lord said to Aaron and what the Lord said to Moses about the high priest and the function of the high priest. And it was a shadow. Remember, the law is a shadow. It's a shadow of things to come. And Hebrews explains that beautifully about how there's coming a high priest that is qualified to make the sacrifice. And you know what his name is. His name is Jesus Christ. Okay, but remember, he's from the line, the, the line of Judah. He's from the tribe of Judah. That's kind of something I want you to hang on to because you'll see what the Lord says in a minute when he refers to the branch. Okay, the branch comes from Judah. The brand that's plucked out of the fire is from the Levites, the Levitical priesthood. And I don't want to throw too much of that. I don't want to throw too much of the law at you, but... I want you to see the dynamic of what's going on. Satan is saying, you're not qualified to be the high priest. You're not qualified to make the sacrifice. And that's the truth. No man is qualified. But what you'll see the Lord saying to him here is, I have qualified him. You see, the law has been, it's gone into oblivion for the last 70 or more years. And now the Lord has brought it all back and he's fixing to establish, he's stirring up the world. He's stirring up things. And he's fixing to establish See, they're fixing to have the temple service again every single day like they did under the Mosaic Law. And they're going to have the yearly sacrifice. They're building the temple back so that they can worship God there in that location as a nation once again. Of course, they're still under Babylon. But the, what is the accusation? First of all, Satan is telling Joshua that he's not worthy. Now, I think it's notable that you have this man Joshua appearing 
who was a real man and the real high priest, and he appears in the vision of Zechariah. Don't you know whenever Zechariah went and shared this with Joshua, can you imagine what was going on in his mind? He's sitting there at night thinking, I'm not qualified. I don't know what to do. I'm not worthy. I've been a prisoner, or at least I've been a resident or a tenant of Babylon for the last however many years. He was born in Babylon. See? So you can imagine what a comfort this was and an encouragement to Joshua the high priest when Zechariah comes and says, this is the vision the Lord gave me. And I saw you, Joshua, standing before the Lord. And I saw Satan accusing you of not being worthy, of, not, of having filthy garments, of being unqualified as the high priest. And the Lord said to Satan, get back. <laughs> he rebuked Satan. Look what the Lord says. Notice very carefully God's response to Satan's accusations. First of all, he says, the Lord rebuked thee. Get out of here, Satan. Put your finger down and go away. Stop your accusing. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem. Did you catch that? Oh, it's all through the Word of God, isn't it? All through the Word of God. The Lord could have chosen any city on the planet. He could have chosen someplace far away from Jerusalem. He could have, cho he could have chosen Babylon. But the Lord in His sovereignty chose Jerusalem. Do y'all see that? He has the right to choose whatever city he wants to choose. And he chose Jerusalem. The Lord says, I have chosen. It's my choice. I'm sovereign. I can choose whoever and whatever I want. And I've chosen Jerusalem. This is where it's going to happen. That's what he's saying. This is my choice. He says, I have chosen Jerusalem and I rebuke thee. Again, he says it twice. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now you say, what in the world? Maybe some of you are thinking a brand in, in, in terms of branding cows, okay? I don't believe that's what's intended here, although I, I'm very familiar with that. I've watched the cowboy movies, and, we, and I think I mentioned we even branded a few cows ourselves with some of these little electric brands. You didn't stick them in the fire, but you plugged them in. So this is a poker is what this is. This is what the image that's given here. And I'm very familiar with a poker. Y'all know what that is? I'm not talking about gambling, poker. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a poker that you would poke things in the fire and has a little hook on it. You know, it's pointy and it has a hook and you can move wood around. I can remember some of my earliest memories of dad, you know, moving big, big pieces of, of firewood in the fire around with that poker. And sometimes he'd leave that poker laying in the fire and that thing would be hot when it was sitting in the fire. And he said, when he take, put it in that little holder over here with a shovel that you shovel the ashes out with, some of y'all remember things like that. Back in the days when you had real fires and not gas fire and, and different things and, and electric heaters. But you know, he said, don't touch that, son. That thing's hot. And sometimes he'd let Chris and I, you know, we'd play with it. We'd play with it you know, in the fire, and he would let push stuff around. That's what this is, is a poker. And the Lord says that Joshua the high priest is like a brand, a poker that has been in the fire and he's plucked it out of the fire. Now, if you read the word of God, if you understand anything about grace and mercy, surely you're thinking that that applies to you and to me also. Because our, our lot, our destiny without God's intervention would have been to burn, you see, in the lake of fire. So we're all brands plucked out of the fire because the Lord in His mercy has reached down and made sure that we didn't have to pay for our sins, you see? 
That's what he's saying to Satan. Get back. I have plucked this brand out of the fire. I have qualified my high priest. You don't have to worry about him being disqualified because I have qualified him. And child of grace, you don't have to worry about being qualified to be in heaven because God has qualified you through the shed blood of his son. And you are a brand plucked out of the fire. Now, specifically, this is talking about the high priest qualifications. The Lord, he sees that, that, um, he sees that Joshua was born in Babylon. He knows who his father was. He knows who his grandfather was. He goes all the way back many, many centuries to even to Levi. And he sees that he hasn't been practicing under the Mosaic law. He wasn't brought up under a priest. He wasn't taught as a child like Samuel was taught, the adopted son of Eli. He wasn't taught in those ways. But God has qualified him, you see. And that's all it takes. Many men of God who have been called to preach, you know, you look upon their life and you think, there's somebody that's just not qualified. No man of God is qualified, but God qualifies the unqualified, you see? So, that's what's going on here in this little scene where Satan is pointing the finger. He says to him, it says in verse 3, Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments, I don't want to be too graphic, but the filthy garment reference right there is, is just about as, as, as dirty and filthy and soiled as your mind can think up. I mean, it's filthy. It's disgusting. Now, I would point out this too, that in the book of Isaiah, we read where it says that all of our righteousnesses, even the good stuff that we do outside of the grace of God is filthy rags before the Lord. You can pile up all the good works. Somebody can pile up all the good works they want. And here's the point of that. It doesn't mean that you, that you should not do good works. But it means if you're piling up your good works to heaven so you can get to heaven, the Lord looks at that as filthy rags. There's no amount of good works that you or I could pile up to impress God enough to save us and take us to heaven. That business was taken care of by the great high priest, the great mediator, Jesus Christ. You see? His works are your access to heaven. His sacrifice is your access to heaven. Now let's do good works all day long, but let's keep it in perspective why we do them. It's not to pile up enough good works so we can climb on that pile to get to heaven or our good works will outweigh our bad works. That is the wrong measure to be measuring with. See, the measure for your salvation is the work of Christ. Now, in regard to this brand being plucked out of the fire, I want to share a little story with you from the great reformer, John Wesley, who wrote several of the hymns that are in our book. And this is what the, how the story goes about John Wesley. John Wesley never forgot a terrible night of his childhood. He was only six years old at the time, and he had awakened in the family's old rectory to find it ablaze from top to bottom. Everyone else had been dragged from the building, but by some extraordinary oversight, he had been forgotten. At the very last moment, just before the roof fell in with a crash and would have killed him, a neighbor climbed on another's shoulders and pulled the terrified six-year-old child, John Wesley, from a window. Later, that scene was drawn for Wesley, like somebody drew it in like a painting or a drawing. And he kept that scene until the day of his death. He wrote under it a verse taken from the third chapter of Zechariah. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? (laughs) He viewed himself as literally having been that brand plucked out of the fire as he was about to die as a six-year-old child. You see, 
we're all brands plucked out of the fire. If you see yourself or what you are as a sinner, we're all brands plucked out of the fire. But the Lord said, your iniquity is taken, taken away. It says Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake, verse 4, unto those that stood before him, saying, the angel says, Christ says, take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity. Is that really what's under consideration? Yes, I've caused your sin, your iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with change of raiment. You see, the Lord took away his iniquity. I have qualified him. And I said, let them set a fair miter. That's a turban. You know, the high priest kind of wore a turban. He had this hat, this turban that he would wear. So they set a fair miter upon his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord stood by and the angel of the Lord protested unto Joshua. See, the Lord is, is finished talking to Satan. He's taking care of Satan. You say he's not qualified, I've qualified him. There's no more accusation that can be made. And then the Lord turns to Joshua, the high priest, who is qualified to serve as the high priest. And he says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If thou wilt walk in my ways, and if thou wilt keep my charge, then thou shalt also judge my house and also shall keep my courts and I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. So you see, notice what the Lord says. He says, walk in my ways, keep my charge, serve in my house, and I'll let you be in and keep my courts. So who does it all belong to, right? It belongs to the Lord, doesn't it? That ought to tell us something about church too. You know, the church of God is not our little playhouse. It's not our little place, to, our little playground to go and just play church and say, well, we can do whatever we want to do, whatever feels good. That's not, if that's the case, do you think that the Mosaic Law would have ever come back from oblivion like it was? Now, we're not under the Mosaic Law. Praise God, we don't have to keep all that stuff. That would have been very difficult to keep. But understand, it's the Lord's charge, it's His house, it's His courts, and it's His place that we are privileged to walk in. And notice what he says to Joshua. He says, Joshua, there's a condition on you maintaining your status as a high priest. I've cleansed you and you're qualified. Now walk in what I tell you to do. What was he talking about? The Mosaic Law. Resurrect the Mosaic Law from oblivion and walk in it. Now here we come to the second part of the message in verse 8. And this is in the Lord talking and charging Joshua. By the way, it's very clear that Joshua was chosen, he was cleansed, he was clothed, and now he's being charged. Chosen, cleansed, clothed, and charged. And remember what the dynamic here is. The law has passed into oblivion for 70 years. So what does the Lord do? <laughs> Listen to what he says in verse 8. Here now, O Joshua, the high priest. Let me pause. Did you catch that? The Lord says, I want you to hear me now, O Joshua, the high priest. Is he qualified to be the high priest? The Lord says so. You are now the high priest. And thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at. These are very conspicuous leader people among the Israelites, among the, the Judeans who have come back to rebuild. Now watch what he says. For behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. And if you read in your Bible, you notice that's capital B-R-A-N-C-H. When there's most of the times, except for two or three, the reference to Jesus Christ under this name is, is normally capitalized. The capital B-R-A-N-C-H, the branch. Now, this is one of the greatest messianic passages in the Old Testament. And I know we've been laying a lot of groundwork to get to this. And I've only got a few minutes left to talk about it, but this is what we're going to talk about for the rest of the time. 
One of the greatest messianic passages in the Word of God in the Old Testament. Look, hang with me on this, okay? Because here is the Lord Jesus qualifying the high priest. I'm qualifying Joshua to be the high priest and make these offers. Offerings to the Lord daily, yearly, all, all of that that goes on. And then he gives him a little extra. He says, not only am I qualifying you, but I'm telling you that I'm bringing forth someone that's infinitely more qualified to sacrifice and make himself as a sacrifice. And his name is the branch. So you see how he's giving him more? <laughs> he's just giving him more and more. We're going to resurrect the Mosaic law and you're going to make preparations in this temple to serve me. And then guess what? I'm going to bring forth the branch. My servant, the branch. And guess what? This guy that I'm going to bring forth is the living law. He is the law. Some of you may have been watching the episodes of The Chosen. I know Brother Jim's mind probably going there because we've talked about it. And there's one scene in there that's playing out Luke, the fourth chapter, where he's in the synagogue in Nazareth and they're getting really worked up about what he's saying. And this is not in the Word of God, but I tell you what, it, it really got us fired up when we saw it. And he says to the Pharisee, he says to the scribe, he said, I am the law. <laughs> Who do you think you are? I am the law. You see, that's Christ. He is the law. You know, the, the law was a shadow of Jesus. It, if you read anything, you say, I don't understand what this part of the law meant. Just trace it to Jesus because he's, it's a shadow of Jesus. And the Lord is saying, I'm going to bring forth the law, capital L-A-W, Christ is going to come forth. And you don't have to worry about keeping anything anymore as high priest because my high priest, my servant, the branch, is going to keep that. So if you're wondering, like I was when I read it, you know, what is the significance of the branch, the name? This is one of the names of Jesus. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. This is one of His names. I don't want you to think about what you're probably thinking about is a, a branch of a tree, a limb. You know, when I first read that, a branch. I think about going and grabbing a branch, you know, maybe climbing up in a tree when I was a kid or whatever. But I want you to think about more like a family tree. That's how we would more or less express what they're saying in the Hebrew, the branch, okay? It's a family tree. Right? You think about the, the branches on a family tree. You know, we've got McCool branch, we've got Springer branch, we've got other branches that, that are on and lead up to where we are today in a family tree. And truly, Christ is our family tree, you see? So that is the significance, part of the significance of why it calls it a branch. Don't think just like a limb on a tree, but think about the, the tree itself, okay? Listen to this, Isaiah 11 and 1. And there shall come forth a rod, that's a branch, out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Okay? A rod is just a, a, a shoot or something that comes out of a trunk. The kids and I, I believe we were at the Montgomery Zoo many, many years ago. And the Montgomery Zoo... It's probably not the greatest zoo in the world, but it was a zoo nonetheless, and we enjoyed going to the Montgomery Zoo. Am I right? Is there a Montgomery Zoo? Am I lost my mind? Is there? Okay. <laughs> I didn't want to have to edit that out later. <laughs> Skip this part. The preacher's lost his mind. 
So anyway, so I think it was the Montgomery Zoo. And as we were walking around looking at, you know, whatever we were looking at, there was one area where they cut down some trees. And I mean a big stump of a tree. I mean, there's no telling how big that tree was. And I'm sure it just got old and rotted and they just needed to get rid of it. And it probably been a few years before because as we walked past that tree, we walked over that stump. And coming out of the stump of the tree was the, were these little shoots coming up with leaves sprouting off of them. And I thought of this. I thought, you know, and I thought of what Job said, that there is hope of a tree, even when it's just a stump and maybe it's been banded off. There's still a hope that a tree could grow there because it's a stump. You see, it's still got some life in it. And that's what it means there when he says the stem of Jesse. There is a trunk of that tree. There is still something left of the descendants of Jesse. Down to David, Solomon, and on down. Zerubbabel was a descendant of Jesse, of David. Jesus Christ was born into the line of David, of Judah. You see? That's a reference to the family tree that he comes from. Now, interestingly, in Isaiah 11 and 1, the, the Hebrew word is a little bit different. And I really, I really found this interesting. I wish I could say I discovered this myself, but I, I, there, I don't have anything original. <laughs> so... Um, I thought I had a few things original once or twice, you know, and I'd be like, man, I just came across a gem that I found, you know, and then I'd read some commentary and somebody found it 500 years ago. You know? So anyway, so here the definition or the actual Hebrew word is netzer, netzer. That's the way I think you say it, where it says there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch. That word branch right there is netzer. Hebrew word for branch or a shoot, a shoot of a, of a limb coming out. Figuratively, it means a descendant, like a family tree, okay? And it's also significant of a city of plants, or as I have put it in the past, one definition of this particular town was a village of reeds. Netzer is the Hebrew word for Nazareth. <laughs> you don't think that's providential? Branch or netzer is the Hebrew word for Nazareth, which is where the rod of the stem of Jesse spent a lot of his young life. Wasn't born there. Remember, he was born in Bethlehem, but he grew up in Nazareth. That's why he was called a Nazarite. Okay. Now, the irony of the fact that the Old Testament said he shall be a Nazarite, he shall be a Nazarene. The irony of that is that the Nazarene, remember Samson, he was a Nazarite. He was not to drink any wine. He was not to shave his head. And he was not to touch anything unclean. The irony of the Nazarite group or sect, if you want to call it that, under the law, that was the most pure that you could get. If you were going to be a Nazarite or called to be a Nazarite, it was the most pure and holy of all. Of the, it was holier even than the high priest. <laughs> and it's interesting that that is what Jesus was. And that's where he was born in Nazareth. And he was called a Nazarene. Don't miss that. Now think about what a tree branch produces. If you've got an apple tree and a branch grows out of it, what does an apple tree produce? Apples. You've got a banana tree. What does a banana tree limb produce? Bananas. You've got whatever else you want to put in there. Peaches. Mine don't, but you folks who know what you're doing, yours do. So you've got a peach tree limb that produces peaches. So you see the significance here of branch, why he's called the branch? He's going to produce fruit. Child of grace, you sitting here tonight, you are the fruit of the branch. You get that? You're the living, breathing fruit of the branch, Jesus Christ, because of what he did. 
Isaiah 4 and 2 says, In that day shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely for them that are escaped of Israel. That was a future reference to what they're doing in the days of, of Nehemiah and of Ezra, Zerubbabel, Zechariah. Isaiah 53 says, He shall grow up before them as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. That's a direct reference to what Isaiah previously said. Zechariah 6 and 12, And speak unto him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch. Same name. Same reference to Christ. And he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Jeremiah 23 and 5, Behold the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, a descendant of David. And a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. <laughs> Back in our text as we bring our thoughts to a close. Zechariah 3, let's read it, verse 8 again. Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant the branch. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua, upon one stone shall be seven eyes. And another name for Christ, right? The, the stone. <laughs> the stone that the builders have rejected has become the head of the corner. And watch what he says. Behold, I will engrave the graving thereof. See, this is all God's work. Saith the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. <laughs> and do you think for a second that Zechariah or Joshua, when he told it to him, do you think they really understood everything that that meant? I don't think so. But we understand, don't we? We're in a better position today in the church kingdom of God. We're in a better position today to know what the Lord is talking about. They were looking forward to something that they had not seen yet. We're looking back to something that we understand happened by the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, and by the faith that God has given us. You see? He said to Joshua, Behold, my servant the branch will come out of the root of the stem of Jesse. It will come forward and in one day he will purge the land from iniquity. <laughs> he did it, didn't he? In one day. The greatest moment in history. Yeah, walking on the moon. That was great. It's a great step. You know, one small step for mankind. One small step for man. Well, I don't know how it goes. Forget it. <laughs> Y'all know what it says. We'll fill that in later. That was a great thing. But there's nothing greater than has happened with the Lord Jesus Christ sacrificing Himself and in one day purging the land from sin. Purging your land from sin. Purging you from your sins. Only the branch could do that. Only the pure high priest could do that. And he was from the line of Judah, but he was qualified. Why? Because God qualified him as his own high priest. You see? And by the way, he had all of the genes. He had all of the DNA. He had everything from all of the line of men all the way back to Adam, you see? He's the perfect man. And he was qualified. And in one day, he purged. He purged us from our sins. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall ye call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree. Now that was a direct lesson to the Jews who had been taught under the Mosaic law, don't have anything to do with these other nations. The, the Lord didn't say don't have anything to do with these other nations because you're better than them or you've got less sin than them. 
No, he was saying, I don't want the false worship of those cultures and nations to putrefy or permeate or take you away from the true worship of God. And they thought it meant we're better than them because we come from Abraham. You see, they were very racist in their mindset. And the Lord said, there's coming a day when I purge the land, whenever I purge the sins of the Jew and of the Gentile, of those that are Jewish people and also those that are non-Jews. That's you and I. When I do that, he says, every man's going to call each other a neighbor as they sit under their vine and their fig tree. That was a reference to prosperity. You sit under your vine and your fig tree. It's not talking about stubborn Jonah sitting under the vine and wishing the Lord would destroy everybody. That's wrong. It's a reference to prosperity where people would sit down and say, we're, we're blessed. Look at what, how God has blessed us and we sit down under the vine and under the fig tree. The vine is prospering. The fig tree is prospering. And they'll, you'll call every man, how neighbor? Howdy neighbor, how you doing? Hey neighbor, how are you? It doesn't matter if they're Jew. It doesn't matter if they're Gentile. In terms of what we see today, it doesn't matter if they're from China. It doesn't matter if they're from America. It doesn't matter if they're from Brazil. It doesn't matter where they are from. God's children are in every nation because the Lord has purged our sins and one day the branch did that. You see? Isn't that great? I know I've slowed down a lot, but there's a lot in Zechariah. There's a lot in the others. But there's... I believe there's more messianic references in Zechariah than, than the others. And for me, it just kind of builds the tension and the excitement of what's coming. Could you imagine if you were sent back from Babylon in this new place you've never seen? They didn't have pictures. They didn't have paintings, I don't suppose. But you're back in this land that you've been told about by your father and your grandfather. And you're there on the ground and you're building and you're working. And then the politics gets in the way and you think, oh my goodness, you know, we're going to be destroyed. And then the, the preachers come along and they begin to preach. And Zechariah begins to tell you the visions that he had in one night. And one of those visions was about the branch, the root, the stem of Jesse that would be raised up one day and purge the land from sin in one day. I think that would be encouraging. Well, brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you the after effect good news of that. He was telling them it's coming. I'm telling you, it's already been done. So don't let politics and don't let routines and, and schedules and all the things that we all have to do from time to time, the things that keep us busy, don't let those things and the busyness of this life take us away from building in the kingdom of God because He has purged your sins. And I charge you, I charge you just like Zechariah in the, in the vision, just like the Lord Jesus Christ, the angel of the Lord charged Joshua and said, if you'll continue to serve me, if you'll continue to walk in my ways, and if you'll protect my house, and if you'll make this a priority in your life, then you will maintain that. I say the same thing to you today as the, as the church of God. If you walk in the truths of God, if you preserve the truths of God, if you preserve your relationships with one another in the Spirit of God and in the love of Christ, then you will continue to walk in these ways. But if you leave it, you won't. That's pretty simple, isn't it? And I tell you, you say, well, sometimes maybe it's kind of hard to see the road and sometimes it's kind of hard to see through the underbrush and sometimes there's some hard knocks of life and hard knocks among God's people. And you think, I just don't know if it's worth it. Let me just tell you, get your eyes back on the branch. Get your eyes back on the Lord. Get your eyes back on your Savior. And I tell you what, it's worth it. You know why? Because He's worthy. He's worthy of whatever knocks you have to go through to keep on serving God in the kingdom.